Hi everybody, I'm Peter Jacobson, and welcome to Jake's Takes. Well, I'd like to wish everybody a happy Thanksgiving. It's the time of year where everybody gets together, family and friends, give thanks for what happened during the year, certainly Thanksgiving and Christmas. If you're lucky enough to get your family together, it's a very special time, and I think back to my years of Thanksgiving when my kids were growing up and we had a little bit of a a different time. I was usually working the Toyota Skins game down in Palm Springs over the Thanksgiving weekend. Remember those? That was really where I got my first start in television. I was a, a walking reporter and then I was later on in the booth with the great Vin Scully talking about Jack Arnold Gary and Lee Trevino and Tom Watson and and then later Payne Stewart, Fred Couples, Tiger, all the Greg Norman, all the great players that played in the Skins game and it was uh, fun for me to be able to go down there and and break into the world of television. But wherever I went, my family went. So we packed everybody in an airplane and we spent our Thanksgiving poolside getting room service basically spending a very unorthodox Thanksgiving. In fact, we have family pictures taken at a Tony Roma's rib joint on Thanksgiving Day. Uh, The great people of Toyota also had a big Thanksgiving feast for all their guests, family and friends that were there for the Skins game, and we we took part in that a few times. But overall, it was uh, on the road with the Jacobson family during Thanksgiving. Now, earlier in my in my life when I was uh, not married I was a I was just a kid living at home with uh, mom and dad David Peter Paul and Susan we always played golf on Thanksgiving day people think that growing up in Portland Oregon means that you're you're knee deep in snow that just isn't true we we are we are knee deep in puddles we can get our share of rain in the latter months of the year generally around uh, October November and December, we can get our share of raindrops. But come Thanksgiving morning or Christmas morning, uh, we would all head out to the golf course and we would tee it up no matter the temperature, no matter if it was raining or if it was a clear, bright, sunshiny day, which we did have on, on Thanksgiving and some Christmas days. But it was an opportunity for me to spend a lot of time talking golf with my entire family. The Jacobsons, to me, we were all about golf. So in the show this week... My brother David and my younger sister Susan joined me to talk about the good old days. Uh, We talk a little bit about my late brother Paul, who we lost uh, back in 1988. Paul contracted the disease AIDS and died uh, years ago. And we always uh, always think about Paul. I think about my brother all the time, but certainly at the holiday season, we think about Paul. So we talk a little bit about that, and we also talk about our love of the game of golf. It's a jungle so growing up we took a lot of golf trips with the jacobson family i'm here with my older brother david and younger sister susan we used to love to go to Central Oregon. We'd go to the Bend area and mom and dad would rent a house and as a family we would go to Black Butte Ranch. 
And there was one story in particular where Dad got in huge trouble with our mom because of his uh, because of interference with the wildlife. Yes, but before that, I want to remind you when we used to go to Central Oregon, when Dad, because we had Norwegian ancestry, wanted us to ski. So we'd go up to go up to Mount Bachelor one day and ski, and then we would play the next day on the only nine-hole golf course in Central Oregon, which was Bend Golf Club. Now if you look on a map of golf courses in Bend, Oregon, there must be 30 of them. It's just a discover, a, a new discovery. Susie, do you remember that story in Black Butte? Oh, yes. You know, Dad was, you know, as, as a military, he was a naval aviator in the day, and, you know, he, it drove him crazy when, when we slept in. And <laughs> to me, I just, it's still, one of my fondest memories when he was ill was, waking up one day when I was staying with him and I woke up, it was about 10 o'clock and I walked out, I was like, dad, well, you let me sleep till 10 o'clock. What's wrong? He thought, well, you know what? Because you can sleep, I envy you that. I, I thought I'd give you that break. But anyway, dad was usually the one whipping over the, open the, the curtains on your window or pulling your covers off. And so dad would get up at, at, at 630 in the morning. Exactly. Before the sun was coming up. Exactly. So certainly when we're on our family vacation, dad, you know, kind of took it upon himself every morning to, to go out and we, you know, there's nice geese out on the lake. Ben was, Blackbeard was gorgeous. And he kind of, he, he devised a way, as, as you said, he got in trouble with mom for sure. Uh, but he got, he got, to, remember he got breadcrumbs from the edge of the water exactly. up to the deck near the place we were staying. We all had a room that there were like six beds in it, so we were sleeping in kind of a bunk room. Remember that? Absolutely. So all four of us were in the bunk room, sound asleep, and Dad was able over a period of three or four days to get the geese to follow these breadcrumbs into the condominium and led into... The bunk room. Unbelievable. I mean, there's duck you-know-what, geese you-know-what all over the place. Well, he, th- he threw the breadcrumbs, the geese, if you remember, climbed up on our beds to eat the breadcrumbs. <laughs> we woke up, and not only were we scared, the geese were scared, which then which caused them to poop. Unload oh, their bowels. Exactly. Mom, wow. It was so pissed at dad. And, and the birds a... are trying to flap and get out, and they're flying into the windows. <laughs> Meanwhile, they're crapping all over the place, <laughs> exactly. and we finally got them out. And mom went crazy. I don't know who cleaned up the poop, but but dad thought that was the funniest thing in the world. He thought it was great. And you know, we made our 10 a.m. tea time. <laughs> exactly. Everybody got out of bed on time. There was uh, hey, hey Barbara, leave the poop. We got to go to the course. We're on the tea. I'm originally from Portland, Oregon, and I'm a proud University of Oregon duck, and I love being from the Pacific Northwest, but when all three of my children went east for college, I knew I needed to change things up. I wanted to get back into their same time zone, so after an extensive search, my wife and I ended up in the Naples, Florida area, but I wished I'd had Golf Life Navigators to help me make that decision. Golf Life Navigators is like Match.com meets Zillow. It's the only place you can go to uncover your ideal golf lifestyle. So go to golflifenavigators.com 
and fill out the ProGuide 3 questionnaire. It will ask you all the pertinent questions like, where do you want to live? Or how do you want to experience your golf? Then it matches you to golf clubs, and you get to choose which one has the best environment for you. Look, I I really don't understand the internet or how it works, but it's so easy even I can figure this out. Three of the four Jacobson children are here right now, and uh, it, would, it wouldn't be appropriate for us to not talk about our younger brother, Paul, as we come upon the, I think it's been 31 years since Paul's death back in 1988. Paul was, Paul was gay, and he lived in Los Angeles, and he came down with AIDS before they knew what it was. And David, tell the story about how you, you heard about Paul being in the hospital. Well, I just... I vividly remember being at a meeting in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and getting a call from Paul or one of his friends that Paul was in the hospital. And so I just made a route, returned through L.A., leaving the meeting early, and I get to, what is it, Cedars-Sinai Hospital? Cedars-Sinai in L.A. And I find Paul's room, and here he is in an oxygen tent. And I just do, I vividly remember the doctor saying that he had pneumonia, and they could not get it under control, and they did not know what they could do to get the pneumonia under control other than what they'd already done. So this was pre-AIDS, pre the doctors understanding how to control whatever AIDS does to people once they contract it. And that's when I called you all, and uh, we all started coming to L.A., and I think Paul passed away, gosh, maybe 10 days or two weeks later. It was just so sudden and just so tragic. I'm so happy that now that they've had done some research and they've got a little better handle on what causes uh, people to contract age to ultimately succumb to uh, pneumonia. It was a mysterious illness. I remember Paul and I were very close and he would call me and be like, gosh, you know, I, another buddy of mine is really, really sick. And he actually told me about, you know, those lesions, uh, lesions that, that his friends would get. And Paul is... You know, being gay is very, uh, very, very awesome, attractive, in great shape, and and vain, if you will. But uh, you know, he was very concerned about all of his. He was losing number five. I remember he was. He would call me and say, "Oh my gosh, I've just lost an eighth friend yesterday." You know, you remember you met this guy because I went to college down near near L.A. So I did meet a lot of his friends. Um, very, very sad story because I think we've all realized that had he contracted AIDS just even a year later, he'd probably still be with us um, because they didn't have the AIDS cocktail. They didn't know, as David just said, they didn't really know how to treat it. So it was, it was a very tough thing. It's a very tough time. And, but you know, I, I will tell you one of the things that I'm always comforted by with Paul is while I was visiting him, and many times people came from the family after he was had lost consciousness, and I asked him, I said to him, I said, man, I'm so sorry you're dealing with this, and we'll figure this out. I remember saying we're trying to figure it out. But, you know, you've had such a wonderful stretch the last few months, and he was kind of a tortured soul, as we all can remember. And I will always 
remember, and I'm comforted by him saying, you know, I, I finally forgave myself, and I've really figured out that I'm very fortunate and I'm very happy right now. And this was all why he was struggling with the pneumonia and all the things that were going on. But uh, the words that he forgave himself has, has always, it's comforted me, but it's also sort of haunted me that he would have, go th have gone through his life uh, feeling as if he had to forgive himself. Being gay, being homosexual, back in those days, there, there was a stigma attached to that, as it, st as it still is today. And that's one of the things that, uh, one of the battles that we fight in society is uh, judging other people. And that's the one thing that when Paul told us all that he was gay, um, that's our little brother. And whatever whatever he wanted to do or however he, he saw himself in life, that was good with me. I was going to protect him. And uh, we we talk a lot about my great late great friend the actor Jack Lemon and whenever I was in LA we would get together with Paul and Jack Lemon and Jack and Paul became great friends in fact we used to go to shows with Jack and Jack would always say to me hey I got your brother I understand Paul and I will will hang out and they did they actually hung out a little bit they played golf together which as I said to Jack I just always appreciated here's the famous Jack Lemon taking Paul, brother Paul, out to play golf because he knew Paul was a tortured soul because Paul didn't really know how to deal with his life being uh, being gay. And it was just hard. It's hard for anybody um, who feels marginalized in, in society. But again, that, that's another example of how golf tamed the rescue of our brother Paul. It's a jungle in here. interesting development with the United States team as they prepare for next month's President's Cup down in Australia. I'm sure a lot of you saw that Brooks Kepka had to withdraw from the competition because of his knee, and that's really unfortunate because Brooks Kepka, one of the best players in the world, certainly a, a top five player in the world, and was going to be counted on by Captain Tiger Woods to be one of the stalwarts of the U.S. team, but replaced by Ricky Fowler. And it was a surprise to me that Fowler was left off the original team, but I'm glad that glad that Ricky's playing. I think it's his experience and, and his attitude. I think it can only be a positive for this team. But I feel bad for Brooks because representing your country is one of the greatest honors you can have in any sport, in any competition. I was fortunate enough to be on two Ryder Cup teams, and to this day, the greatest the greatest highlight of my career, representing the United States with the other 11 players and my captains on those teams. So I feel bad for Brooks, but this Brooks Kepka, man, this guy is a is a world-class player. He's going to be representing the United States on not only the President's Cup teams in the future, but also Ryder Cup teams in the future. So I'm only hoping Brooks gets over this injury. Anybody that plays golf knows that it's impossible to play well when you're hurt so we will we will revisit the president's cup in the near future because it is about a month away it's a jungle in here and we all know it the fans are fired up making sure they show it they're rowdy and loud not your usual crowd it's a jungle in here and we all know my mom and dad split up and eventually got divorced. I can't remember the year, but it was 
1978. I was a rookie on tour, and we were all living through that separation and eventual divorce. And Dad was completely distraught. In fact, he had trouble making toast in the morning. He could boil water and make toast. And I remember I was going to go, I was invited to play in President Gerald Ford's Pro-Am in Vail. And I said, I've got to take Dad. I think, David, you said, get him out of the city. (laughs) He's pathetic. So I took him with me and we went to Vail. He met Joe Garagiola, the great late baseball player announcer on the bus, Dad just said, wow, this is the greatest trip in the world. I said, Dad, we haven't haven't even got to the hotel yet. We teed off the next day, and I got paired with four amateurs, one of them being Clint Eastwood. So I'm like, oh, my gosh, Clint's with me. I want my dad to walk in in the fairway with us, so I'll ask the players. So we teed off, played the first couple holes, and I said to my four playing partners, my dad is with me. Going through a separation from my mom, could he walk with me in the fairway? And all four said, Yeah, no problem. So my dad comes in and he meets my amateur partners. The last one he meets is Clint Eastwood. He goes, Hey, how are you? I'm Erling Jacobson. Call me Jake. And Clint says, Hi, I'm Clint Eastwood. Which normally Clint Eastwood doesn't have to say, Hi, I'm Clint Eastwood. Be like, Hi, I'm Arnold Palmer. Or hi, I'm Tiger Woods. You know, pretty much whoever you're meeting knows who they are. So we played the first four or five holes, and my dad's kibitzing with my amateur partners, giving him lessons, kind of coming out of his funk. We get out about the seventh hole, and he comes up to Clint and says, Clint, you've got a pretty good swing. Let me ask you, what do you do? And I heard this, and I immediately turned around, and Clint said, well, I'm an actor, Jake. And my da- our dad says, oh, really? What have you been in? Well, at the time, Clint says... At the time, he was Dirty Harry in the Magnum Force movies, which were huge. I think they were one, two, and three in the box office. So Clint says, well, I'm Dirty Harry in these this series of, uh, of movies. Do you feel lucky, punk? Make my day? All that? My dad looks right at him as confused as can be, like he just was handed a Rubik's Cube. And my dad goes, nope. Uh, don't know what those are. Now, Clint looks at me like, where'd you get this guy? <laughs> so he says, uh, maybe you might know me from a series of spaghetti westerns I did uh, down in Italy. The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, The Outlaw Josie Wales, Hang em High. And he looks at my dad. My dad is now even more confused. And I'm walking away. My dad says, nope, never saw those either. So Clint is now thinking, how do I, how can I connect with this guy? And he says, well, you may remember me from my first show I ever did. It was called Rawhide. And my dad snaps his fingers and says, you're Rowdy Yates. You were the ranch hand. And Clint goes, I found, I found the sweet spot. He goes, yep, Jake, I was the ranch hand. It was a black and white TV show, and if you look it up, you'll know what I'm talking about. From that hole on, Clint and my dad, our dad, bonded. And I came up to Clint on the back nine, and I said, Clint, I want to apologize for my dad. I'm so embarrassed. And he stopped me and put his hand on my shoulder. And he said, Peter, I've been riding pretty high over my success lately. Do you realize how good it is for my ego 
that somebody doesn't know who I am. He says it gives me their perspective. Your dad's a great guy. Don't worry about it. I'm glad it happened. And funny enough, from that 1978, 79, 80, all the way through my time at AT AT&T, even when I won at Pebble Beach and Clint was the host of the tournament, he always asked me about dad. He'd always say, hey, how's your father? And whenever dad came to Pebble Beach, they would always get together just for a quick drink or a quick hello. But I'll never forget how good it was, as Clint said, for his ego. At least one person in the world at that time have no clue who Clint Eastwood was. Well, that's all the time we have for this week's Jake's Takes podcast. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Peter Jacobson. These have been my takes. What are yours? <laughs>